Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by MB Ranch King. MB Ranch King hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the USA. With durability and convenience in mind, MB Ranch King's maintenance-free hunting blinds are constructed with high-grade steel and come in a variety of sizes to meet any hunter's needs. They also offer they also offer high-quality, easy-to-use corn and protein feeders that can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more information or a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King, built in the pursuit of perfection. All right, I'm your host, Joe Bai, here today with my co-host, Clint Flowers, and today we're going to be talking to you about how to create a habitat management plan on your land with Brian Shepard of Brush Clearing Services. We're going to discuss everything you need to consider to create the best habitat you can, considering your budget and any other resource objectives you got on your property. But before we do that, I've got another interest rate update coming to you. Let's see what's going on in the world of land financing. Joining us today is Josh Brown with Alabama Ag Credit. Josh, welcome to Hunting Land, man. Appreciate you uh, stepping in. Give us the uh, the interest rate update this week. Tell everybody where your uh, where your office is located. Hey, Joe, I'm uh, I'm in uh, downtown Tuscaloosa on Eighth Street, twenty six eighteen Eighth Street. All right, man. Well, you know, first things first. What direction are we headed in? I mean, last thirty days have we been trending upwards, downwards? What's it looking like? I think rates have just kind of bobbled up and down a little bit, you know, 10, 20 basis points for the last three or four months. Now, they really haven't done anything. Kind of flat. Yeah. Yeah. They're historically low. So hearing that they haven't changed, this makes me happy. Yeah. They're definitely still good rates. Yeah. No, no uh, doubt, man. Well, you know, down in Southeast Alabama, Northwest Florida, the market for, smaller acreages these large acreage residential sites or these these small acreage recreational sites i'm seeing a ton of demand for that uh lots of people getting into the market for the first time what about in the tuscaloosa area what's what drives the market there in that part of alabama same thing it's a lot of the same thing everybody's wanting 10 to 30 acres of that little piece of heaven yeah well you know one of the things that we see in good economic times we see people focused on recreational first and the fact that the that land is a is a good long-term investment maybe second and in negative economic times we see people focused on land as a solid long-term safe investment that they can also recreate on so it's it doesn't really change but it, it their mentalities change with with everything that's going on uh in the world it's hard not to be pessimistic sometimes when you hear about all the the shakeups and things we're having in economics and pandemic and all that have you started to see that switch yet in consumer mentality of people really thinking about the safe secure aspect of land ownership first and foremost or are folks still thinking about Hey man, I'm ready to go hunting. We've got certain markets that, yeah, it's, it's strictly recreational stuff. I mean, like you get down in Greene County, nobody's wanting to buy ten to twenty acres down there. Right, yeah, they want to buy a hundred to five hundred just for recreational and, and investment, timber investment. But uh, in Tuscaloosa County, it's it's all about the ten to twenty acres. Right. For those buyers like you're talking about down in Greene County, you know that that recreational buyer, that guy who's looking for that hundred to five hundred acre piece. 
are those people focused in? I mean, is timber, is that timber investment, their driving focus, or are they more thinking about the recreational still? It's more recreational, but, you know, they, they also want to know that what they're buying is, is something that they can, you know, get some cash flow off of in the future. Right. You know, it's it's harder to sell, you know, 100 acres of limey uh, cedar land than it is, you know, 100 acres of good pine producing soil. Right. And it's strictly based on, you know, what, what am I going to get out of this if I do spend this money? Right. In the future. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a uh, uh, multiple resources. It's, it's, I mean, it's one of the beauties of land is that you've got multiple things you can be managing for and folks are focused on both. I mean, that's what I see too, as well. I mean, it, it could be day to day. This guy says, look, I'm purely thinking about the, the income and the timber or the farmland or whatever it may be. And the next guy is going to be the, the inverse of that. But there's just this continuum of, you know, investment to, to recreation and people just kind of fall somewhere along that line, maybe more to one side than the other. That's right. Well, that's cool, man. It's good that we're in a good market and I hope things continue that way. Let's talk about interest rates. So I can't tell you how many times a week I get asked if this property can be financed because most people still don't understand (laughs) that land can be financed very similarly to what they're used to in the residential markets. So for you guys right now, just take our listeners through your basic loan products that are out there, the terms, the down payments, and the range on interest rates right now. Well, the smaller stuff, 10 acres and less, is what we call a rural home site loan. And that's a 15-year term, uh, 15% down, and a 15-year fix today is probably around 4%. Moving into larger acreages, you know, we can go up to 30 years on a term. Uh, we can lock a rate for 20 years. And that's going to be around, I'd say, four and a quarter, somewhere in that range. And then as far as equipment financing, you know, up to five years on a term, it's going to be 25% down on that and around three and a half percent on a fixed rate with that. Man, those are still just great rates. I mean, historically. They're they're definitely all-time lows. Going back to that 30-year term you were talking about with some of those larger acreages, bigger loans. That 30-year term, 20-year fixed rate, what's your down payment typically on that? Well, the minimum would be 15%. The larger it gets, you know, we'd like to get 20% down if possible, but the minimum is 15%. That's that's farm credit rules. Gotcha. But also, you know, if, if a person owns another track of land, for clear, you know, they can use that as additional collateral, and we can do 100% finance in that way. Yeah, yeah, that's another. I mean, we've talked about that a lot. We do a lot of that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's it's one of the great things about land. It's so versatile. You know, you can use it in so many different ways, whether it's tax advantages uh, as additional collateral to, to then make additional investments uh, and add to your holdings, being able to, you know, cut timber or lease it out for farmland, whatever it may be. You know, there's just so many ways that someone can use it as an investment. And it's not always about the cash flow, but that's definitely good. You know, mentioning the uh, the ability to use that as collateral, that's one thing I always think about. The other thing I always think about is lines of credit. What kind of lines of credit are out there for folks that have land that, that has an, an asset to it? Like if somebody owns uh, timberland and it's got good value in the timber, do y'all offer lines of credit on, on uh, properties like that? Or is that mostly for like farming enterprises and things of that nature? We usually, most, I'd say 95% of our lines of credit are, are with full-time farmers, uh, people in the timber industry. 
not really the recreational buyer that we're making lines of credit to. Right. People that are actually in the agricultural business somehow. Right. Salt mills, uh, timber buyers, stuff like that. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, Josh, I do appreciate you stepping in. Give us the uh, the interest rate update for this month. If folks want to look you up there in Tuscaloosa and get in touch with you for their land financing needs or reach out to anybody there at Alabama Ag Credit, how can they get in touch with you guys? Uh, you can call me at 205-247-4475 or go to our website, Alabama Ag Credit, and you look up all our locations, call any of them that's, that's closest to you. All right, Josh. Well, thanks again, man. We'll look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you, Joe. And that land financing segment was brought to you by SunSouth. Strength, speed, and versatility. A winning combination on, off, and in the field. At SunSouth, that's exactly what you get with quality John Deere equipment, affordably priced and ready to tackle projects on your property, like the John Deere 5 Series tractors with discounts up to $3,500 at SunSouth. And don't forget to service your John Deere Gator at SunSouth with free pickup and delivery packages. Go see the folks at your neighborhood SunSouth. Equipment for those that do. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Offers expire October 31st, 2021. And also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated, and promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors in the South, so visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. All right, and joining us today is Brian Shepard of Brush Clearing Services. We're talking about how to create a habitat management plan. Brian, you know, uh, this time of year, things start to dry out, and a lot of habitat work gets done uh, right here as we're going into into deer season. You know, you're typically thinking about hanging stands and planting food plots and things of that nature, but it's also a really good time to get out on your property and and make some changes at a landscape level. So before you can do that, though, you got to have a plan, right? Absolutely. Yes, sir. You have to have a plan. And hopefully that plan was developed back in uh, late winter or spring when it's wet and cold and there's not a lot going on so that when conditions do get favorable, you're ready to hit the ground running. And that's what we're doing right now. We're, you know, we work seven days a week this time of year when conditions are favorable and, you know, every, everything's dried out. And of course you're out of ground nesting birds, you know, they've all hatched and on up and going and, you know, the fawns are up and going. So you're not worried about any kind of, uh, mortality from running this mechanical equipment this time of year so this is the time to go right now but obviously everything we do right now was developed by with a plan sometimes you know a year in advance or even further back than that it takes time to develop a good habitat management plan and uh, it takes a lot more time to develop a plan than it does to implement the work in most cases yeah you know i mean we all know that we need to eat right and we know we need to exercise and we hear that a lot but then we actually got to do it i've always heard yeah you know you need a plan need a habitat management plan need a food plot plan Uh, but a lot of times it seems like we just get busy and then we just find ourselves up there all right this is the weekend we're going to do it or this is the time i've got allotted to do it take me through why that's a bad practice. I mean, why do I, why do you really need a, a plan, a written down plan to focus on habitat on your property? 
first and foremost, you want to do what's, what's best for the resource that you have there. You know, there's a big difference between what a landowner wants and what he truly needs. And obviously, our goal is to meet the landowner objectives, but at the same time, we want to focus in on what's going to be best for that piece of property and what they are trying to achieve. So with that said, it's always best to have a plan in place well in advance, and it may take several different people to help tie that plan together. You may need a wildlife biologist. You may need a forester. Obviously, once the plan is in place and you start identifying contractors, your timber crews or your, my case, you know, running these forestry mulchers, food plot planting companies. I mean, the list goes on and on. Herbicide application, you know, needs to be done and, and planned full well in advance. I mean, there's so much of this that needs to be planned in a timely manner. And the only way you're going to do it, you're not going to show up in, in September and say, okay, I want to do this right now. In most cases, you, you may get in and get something done, but you may be doing the wrong thing. You, you may be doing irreversible damage at that particular time of what you're trying to accomplish. So if, if you take the time to really study your property, make a list of your objectives on what you want to achieve, and then start dialing in on okay, who do I need to call? Who do I need to involve? Does it need to be a wildlife biologist? Does it need to be a forester? Who, who, does, who do I need to have on my team? And that's what you need to do. You need to, to put together a team prior to, to uh, implementing anything, as far as I'm concerned, because we're best when we're working closely with a landowner and a biologist and or forester, and we've already have the plan in place and we already have the maps and we know exactly what we're going to do prior to us going in there and doing it. It makes our job so much easier. We're that much more productive. And we know when we go in there to do it, we're doing exactly what the doctor prescribed. So when we're doing that, we know we're doing what's right for the resource and for the objectives of the landowner as well. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up identifying objectives. I feel like it's a moving target sometimes, even for somebody who thinks about this kind of stuff day in and day out, you know, my objective today may not be my objective in five years because, I mean, you change, your opinions change, things that are, are you value and are important to you change over time. And so clearly defining those objectives can be a struggle sometimes. So if you're dealing with a landowner who's, they've got a piece of ground, they want to manage their property to the best of, of their ability, with, given their financial resources, but they're maybe unsure. You know, a lot of times I'm sure people come to you and they say, hey, I'm looking for a quote on, say, forestry mulching. And you get out there and you're looking at the property and you may realize that, look, right, what you need right now is not forestry mulching. What are you trying to accomplish? How do you help somebody get those objectives down on paper? This is a really good time for me to interject this. And this will give, give, give our audience a prime example of what a landowner wanted and what a landowner truly needed. I had a landowner call me here in Harris County, Georgia. It's been four years ago. Prominent landowner, big track of land. He came over there. He had I met him over there at the property, and we spent a half a day looking at everything, and he had probably 100 to 200 acres of regen pine. This pine was 70 foot tall. It was thick, a biological desert. There was no sunlight, no sunlight hitting the, the, the ground floor. It needed to go away, obviously, and he wanted to. He wanted to use forestry mulchers in order to uh, to take it down, and wanted to look good aesthetically. Wanted to get it down for habitat. Well, I knew right then that the forestry mulching was not the best the best avenue. It was entirely too much material. We were if we'd mulched or chipped that on site, it would have been 
entirely too much biomass left on the ground. What I mean by biomass, the amount of chips and, and waste that's left over, it would have been anywhere from six to 12 inches deep in places, which is going to ha have an adverse effect on what you're trying to accomplish. When we run these forestry mulchers for habitat restoration, we want to get some soil disturbance when we're taking that other story out. And that helps release those grasses and weeds and forbs and all those the good foods that we want. But with that biomass on the ground, it's, it's not going to allow that sunlight to penetrate. And, and it would have sat there for a long period of time trying to decompose. So I offer this. I said, first and foremost, we need a habitat plan. I know of a really good forester that, that specializes in habitat management plans. And I know of a really good timber company that, that does fuel load reduction. And I said, even though there's not much money standing right here, you can get compensated a little bit for this and then pay me to come back and clean it up. And what by, by doing that, we remove all that regen pine off-site. It's chipped up. It's going to be used as fuel wood. And then I'm going to come back in there with my mulchers and clean it up. I could have easily taken that opportunity right there to have taken advantage of that landowner and gone on there and dropped two or three machines and, and ran them for several months and, and made a lot of money. But I knew right then and there that was not the best thing for that landowner, nor was it the best the best mode of action for the resource and for the native habitat. So we immediately got our habitat specialist involved. He went in and cruised the entire property, put together a five-year habitat management plan, mapped it completely out. When we've got the timber company, logging company in there, they came in there and cut all that fuel load out, that regen pine, removed it off site. They chipped it, blew it into a box truck, hauled it off. I came there with my mulchers and cleaned up the, the, the leftover tops and stumps. We got the soil disturbance we wanted. And of course, we had immediate uh, response from the good grasses and weeds and forbs that we wanted to release. So there's prime example of what the landowner thought he wanted versus what really needed to happen in order to accomplish both things there. And that was to meet the landowner objectives, but also do what was best for the environment. Yeah, you know, I, like what you're talking there about is balancing those resource goals. So a lot of landowners are dealing with multiple resources on their property. They're thinking about the wildlife habitat, but they've also got farming operation going on, or they're thinking about the wildlife habitat and they've got a timber operation going on. And it's rare in, in my line of work that I meet somebody that says, I'm all in on timber and I don't care about the wildlife habitat or vice versa. There's usually a continuum there where they, they land somewhere, you know, in the middle or slightly skewed to one side. That being said, you know, do you feel that these multiple resource objectives are at odds with each other? I mean, have you seen properties that had great timber and great wildlife habitat? And is that something that can be incorporated into that plan? I think so. You can have both. If your main objective is to grow timber, then obviously, you know, if that's all you're, that's all you're concerned about is the bottom dollar on, on how much how much timber you can produce on that particular track of land, and you're not concerned about wildlife or habitat, then obviously if that's the direction you choose to go, you go. But if you're wanting to do both habitat and try to produce an income on there, it, it definitely can be done. But, you know, when you lay out these these habitat plans, though, you got to remember that we treat a piece of property like grandma's quilt. We want we want different stages of, of timber and different age classes, and we want early successional growth. So depending on the size of the property, that's going to have a lot to do with it, too. Realistically, on, you know, 100 acres, how much how much can you do to achieve both? You might, you may be limited on how much acreage that you have to work with, so you can still manage to grow some good timber on it. But at the same time, 
you're trying to concentrate a lot of efforts on wildlife and habitat, the two can go together, but it's not difficult. But, you know, you're not going to get the return on your timber like you would if you were just putting it solely into timber production. You would if you were trying to manage for both. And a lot of my customers, their concerns not trying to get a return on their dollar on the timber. They just want to know what can we do to make this the best wildlife piece of property that we can. So you can go from one extreme to the other real easily. Well, it sounds like the first step in, in all this is, is sitting down, talking with somebody who's knowledgeable, the different practices that are out there, the different techniques. I mean, like you're talking about, we're talking about forestry mulching, but the same objective may be able to be accomplished with prescribed burn or vice versa. I mean, some sometimes you're going to be able to burn, sometimes you aren't. But identifying those objectives is probably step one. And you mentioned it earlier, boots on the ground and getting an inventory of that property, really seeing what's there. Do you think that's the next step? I mean, once you've talked with a landowner and you know what they're trying to accomplish, is a site visit the very next thing that needs to be done? Absolutely. You've got to you've got to get out there and walk it. And I'm not talking just, you know, hit the high spots. You got to get down there and get to the meat of it and really walk that property thoroughly and and look closely at what's there and inventory what's there. And at that point, once I'm on the ground and I've spent some some time on a, on, on a property with a landowner, at that point, I'm going to start making recommendations as far as, okay, you need to call this biologist or this habitat specialist or this forester. I'm going to make recommendations to put the right team in place for that landowner because from a contractor side of it, I want to know when I go to do the implementation that it's done correctly without me looking back over my shoulder wondering, gosh, did I do the right thing for this guy? Did I make the right recommendation? Because a lot of times when you go in there and start cutting, it doesn't matter if it's you go in there with a logging crew or a mulching crew or herbicide application. Once it's done, that's it could be irreversible damage, Joe. So you want to make sure that you've got that plan in place. The landowner is comfortable with that plan. He's, he's, he's studied it. He understands it. He sees the value of it. He realizes that this is going to meet my objectives, but also it's going to be exactly what needs to be done to make that piece of property better from a wildlife and a habitat and a timber standpoint. Once that plan is in play and the landowner understands it, accepts it, then you can move forward at trying to get your contractors and start implementing the plan that's been put in place. Brian, if you're a landowner, say, you know, you've got all these goals and you want to do this, but you just don't have all the financial resources in the world to just get after all of it at once. I mean, what would you prioritize for them? I would prioritize first. I would I'd spend the money on a plan first, a habitat management plan. You may not be able to do everything that that plan outlines. In the beginning, it may be a three to five year plan. It may be longer than that, but You've got to have a plan. Don't feel overwhelmed if you feel like you don't have the resources in order to do everything you feel that needs to be done the amount of time you feel like you want to try to get it done. And remember, you're developing a piece of of God's creation and trying to maintain and manage it, and you want to take your time. There's nothing wrong with slow and steady wins the race. So I would first start with developing a management plan. And most biologists and most your foresters are very reasonable. They'll come out there. they'll, They'll do a site visit with you. They'll walk the property with you, and then at that point, once they make some recommendations, you can decide if you want them to go ahead and proceed with putting together a plan. And that plan, once they develop that plan and hand it to you, then you've got some guidelines to work off of moving forward. And you can work on those as as fast or as slow as you want to. And there may be other methods on achieving those goals. It may be, okay, well, you know, he prescribes forestry mulching, but if you can't afford forestry mulching, start working on more controlled burning, which is far less expensive than 
than mechanical forestry mulching. Be some herbicide recommendations. Could be some future timber thinning, which could bring some income into you that you could turn and put back into the property. So you really don't know what you have until you get a plan in place. And just because you have the plan doesn't necessarily mean you got to build that house tomorrow, okay? You just realize that you've got it. Looking forward, you can start budgeting, you can start planning. And once you've done that, then I think that's the best starting point for any landowner. It doesn't matter if he's got 50 acres or if he's got 50,000 acres. I feel like that's where everybody needs to start first. Ryan, you talked earlier, you know, you mentioned that one of the keys to a management plan is is not only a site visit, but getting down in there, getting granular, you know, seeing every divot in that property, understanding you know, really what's there, not just looking at a map and saying, you know, here's, here's a stand of pines and here's a stand of hardwoods. I mean, really understanding what is there and what you're trying to do with that. Is that something that when you're creating that management plan and making those site specific recommendations, how is it done? How are you separating up that property into these compartments? I mean, is it done at a, at a timber stand level? That's where I tend to go with things is like, uh, think about timber stands, but I mean, are you actually looking at it acre by acre and saying, this is how this acre is going to be at its maximum potential? When you start developing a, a habitat plan, you're going to inventory that property. You're going to know exactly a good habitat specialist, habitat biologist, or forester is going to inventory your property. You're going to know how much of different age class timber you have, how much bottomland hardwood you have, how much upland hardwood and pine, how much pine, what age classes are they? And, and at that point, once you compartmentalize everything that you have on that property, then you can start really breaking down and peeling back layers on that thing to determine what our starting points are as far as manipulating this place to maximize wildlife and habitat management. So you're going to get on the ground, your habitat specialist or your forester is going to get on the ground and he's going to inventory that property. And in most cases, also when he's doing it, he's also going to have a dollar amount on how much almost he's it's literally like doing a timber cruise at the same time he's looking at habitat and how far are we going to stretch this out is this a three to five year plan a five to ten year plan what are we doing here but they're going to go through there and also inventory what you have there as well and uh this is what potential revenue you have and with that said they'll be able to incorporate that into that habitat management plan so at least the landowner will have an idea going forward you know i possibly got some future income coming out of this that can go back into my habitat and uh, wildlife management uh, improvements going forward. Now, Brian, you know, I know planning is always real simple when it comes to Mother Nature. I'm sure you just roll right out there and and just start implementing all these plans immediately without (laughs) any problems ever. If you're laying out when you're going to do these things, how you're going to do it, I mean, what are you mainly focused on? Are you, is it certain seasons or times of year where you're dry, you know, got some moisture to the ground? What are you looking for? Obviously, when you're running any kind of mechanical equipment, you've got to think about what kind of impacts you're going to have to landscape and working for these state agencies throughout the southeast we do a lot of work for alabama dnr a lot of work for arkansas game and fish commission natural heritage commission it's very important to them to make sure we hit the windows when conditions are most favorable for instance we're in arkansas uh, working on hydrological drainage restoration on a wma obviously they're trying to improve the hydrology on this particular wma it's a it's a it's a green tree reservoir it's a major waterfowl destination here in Arkansas, and it's the lowest to the low, and we can only work uh, when conditions are dry, and right now we're excessively dry here. These are, a lot of these projects we're, we're working on right now have been in, a, they've been planned, they've been, the, the habitat 
plan was developed three years ago. Uh, the permits were in place. Everything was in place. We were set on go, but we could not work simply because conditions weren't favorable. We had three consecutive very wet years, late summer, early fall years, where tropical storms and hurricanes were buzzing up through here, and and, and conditions weren't favorable for us to work. We, we couldn't even use our low-ground pressure track equipment in here. That's how wet it was. So finally, we're dry. Now's the time to take advantage of the dry conditions. That's the reason why it's important to plan early and well in advance. There's different times of year when we can work and when we can't. I mean, even sometimes when it's dry early on, we still like to try to wait till after the ground nesting birds and these deer fawns are up on four legs. Turkey poults are up and going before we start running mechanical equipment. Though you, you might think it's time because it's dry to get out there and do this work and say early June or mid-June or you know even early July, but you're still in fawning season and you still have, have these, these young critters they're trying to get up and going, and the last thing we want to do is go in there and do irreversible damage on and have more high mortality rates on running this equipment. So our windows are narrow, very narrow for habitat restoration work with this type of equipment because of we're trying to manage for, for wildlife, obviously, so we want to be sensitive to when, when their nesting seasons and fawning seasons are, and then also at the same time, we don't want to get in here and work when it's too wet. I mean, I don't know how many times people have been on a site before and said, good gosh, these loggers got in here and they cut this this wood when it was way too wet and there's ruts everywhere. So, you know, we want to be very, very careful on the implementation to make sure we do not do damage to the resource. So uh, when it's dry like it is, we work seven days a week. We try to get as much done as we possibly can because it's important that, that we do because things like these years get, uh, we, we get these excessive rains, these, these, these tropical storms coming out of the Gulf. So us, us Gulf states, I know right now, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia, extremely wet right now because of the last two storms that we've had come out of the Gulf. So that's going to slow anybody being able to do any kind of work right now. So you can't always put this on a calendar is what I'm trying to say, but you can plan in advance. You can have your habitat management plan. You can have your forester do uh, his cruise and, and do his due diligence on your on your timber and get your sale, your timber sale done well in advance. There's so much you can do. And, and, and hunting season's a great time when you're in the woods with your kids and you're in the woods with your family and friends. It's a great time to get in there and start looking around and start really walking that property out, spending more time on it. Cool time of year, fall time of year is the, is the best time to be in there. That's when you need to start putting the wheels in motion about say, okay, maybe it's time we start looking at getting somebody in here, a professional, to help us design a plan so that we can start making strides to getting a time frame and working toward implementing some of these things that we want to get done. Uh, but right now, if somebody called me up and said, "Hey, Brian, I'm uh, I need to I need you to get down there and cut some shooting lanes and some fire breaks right now before deer season," I'd tell them they're about about a year off before I could do anything for them because we're already so entrenched with all our other obligations that were you know that were that were put in front of us well in advance, and that was because we worked so closely with these state agencies and private biologists and getting these plans in place, and we know where we're going to work when the conditions get favorable. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Brian. You know, like we talked about to start the show, having that plan in place allows you to be sitting on go uh, when the conditions line up and uh, will allow you to do the work because it's not just not just the want to that's required to actually get it done. And I mean, it sounds like the key to this all this really is identifying those objectives that work for the landowner for all their different resources that, that they've got on their property, getting somebody out who's knowledgeable, getting an inventory of the property and, and all the financial resources that the landowner may have, the equipment they may have, 
and then really getting down uh, at ground level and separating things into its own individual compartment. Kind of like we talked about with Jody Pagan talking about bottomland hardwoods. You know, he said they're, they're trying to maximize the potential of every single acre that they touch. You know, they're not looking at it just as, as a, a hundred acre stand. You know, they want every acre to do the best it can do. And that's a great goal, man. I just think that being a steward of a piece of land is, for me, that's a big driving force behind being a landowner, being able to leave something better than I found it is absolutely yes sir the big driving force and it sounds like that you guys incorporate that into your all your practices for folks that don't know tell everybody as we wrap things up where y'all are based out of everything that y'all offer in terms of services and if somebody wants to get in contact with you to implement some of these practices on their property or create that habitat management plan how they can reach out to you we're located in uh, pine mountain georgia but we cover have a big footprint we work all over the southeast we offer Obviously, the mechanical forestry mulching, that's what we specialize in, but I'm fortunate enough to have a really good team of of biologists and foresters that I can lean on that if a landowner needs assistance in developing a habitat plan or needs help uh, managing his timber, control burning, herbicide applications, we can put them in contact with the right people that specialize in those areas. So we can offer those for them. We can put them in contact with the right people. They can contact me at 706-718-1690 or go to our website, brushclearingservices.com for more information on what we do and what we provide. All right, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Brush Clearing Services. If you've been considering forestry mulching, don't forget, there is no substitute for horsepower. Brush Clearing Services provides high output, high production forestry mulchers from three to 600 horsepower. Smaller skid steer mulcher runtime rates may be lower, but BCS production will be two to three times more than these smaller machines. BCS prides itself on providing dependable equipment to ensure project completion is on time and under budget. Check out their full line of property and land services at Brush Clearing Services dot com or call them at 706-718-1690 and also brought to you by first south farm credit first south farm credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land to find out how first south can help you visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722 they are an equal housing lender Clint, you know, I'm guilty of saying I'm going to do something and then just finding myself out there trying to do it without having made a plan. You know, it's like I knew I needed a plan, but uh, all of a sudden I'm like buying my food plot seed and my fertilizer and and grabbing it all the day before I'm going to go plant instead of having a plan in place. Uh, not always. Sometimes I'm pretty good about it, but like, you know, life gets busy and you want to get it done when you want to get it done. And I it sounds like when it comes to habitat management, and we've talked about this before, you really got to be thinking way ahead. Yeah. You can't just show up and inspect the results that you want. You know, it's, it's kind of like the planning example. I've been on a lot of work days where somebody, you're there with the seed and the fertilizer, you go, how big is this field? And you go, ah, about an acre. Yeah. And, you know, it's right. It's a half acre or two acres. And you know, everybody's kind of eyeballing it because nobody took the time to sit down and really map everything out. And, and understand what they needed to do. And, yeah. and many times the results reflect that. And if you show up and just start going to town with the mulch or anything else, it's the same thing. You, you waste a lot of time and energy, money, fuel, and end up with lackluster results. I love the goal, you know, going back to the bottomland hardwood show we did with Jody Pagan. I love the goal 
of trying to maximize the potential of every piece of ground, every piece of every piece of dirt, you know, every acre. I, lo- I love the idea of that. And it's, it's a challenge, and, but it's, it's certainly a, a worthy goal. When you see a property that's had a habitat management plan in place and whether or not it's all done yet or not, but it, there's one in place and there's a plan for what's going to be done. Does that make it easier to sell that property? Yeah. I mean, it's easier to show that history of effort, what all has gone into it, which is obviously going to produce better results presently and in the, in the immediate future. So you're not starting from scratch. Uh, so it, it definitely carries a lot of benefit. It's just like we talk about too, with game camera photos, you know, the next land steward can see what's out there before they actually own the property. And they see the, the, the track record of what, you know, what kind of game is on the property. It makes it that much easier to, for them to see the value in the property. And it's no different with something like a habitat management plan. If, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm driving around in the woods and you can see the char marks on the pine trees and, you know, the, the person I'm with says, Oh, they've been burning this. That's good. You know, I mean, they recognize that somebody has been taking care of it and, in a lot of cases, you know, if you're showing a piece of land, you've got maybe a day to look over that property. You're not going to see every single acre that's there. But knowing that that person was taking care of it from what you can see, I think is a lot of peace of mind. It gives people a lot of the, conf- the confidence to go ahead and, and make the leap. If, if it looks good and it feels good, they go ahead and go ahead and make an offer uh, and get that piece of property when otherwise they might be a little more cautious, you know, if they can't see what's there and they, it's like we talk about all the time, you know, if you, if you can't see the forest for the trees, then you're curious about what, what may be out of sight and knowing what's been done on a piece of property. And then also seeing what needs to be done on a piece of property is, is all the peace of mind you really need to know what to expect after you buy it. Yep. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt Land Show is brought to you by Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com for more information and to find a co-op near you. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also Pyramid Air. At Pyramid Air, they believe air guns are for everyone. From big game hunting to fun trigger time to firearm training. Big selection, fast shipping, the air gun experts. Find out more at PyramidAir.com. And also brought to you by The Hunting Exchange. Buy and sell your hunting gear securely online. PayPal protected purchases, no hidden charges, listings are free. Head over to the App Store or Google Play and download The Hunting Exchange app today. And also brought to you by Photonis Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. These ultralight, ultra compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function 
of any night vision system available. Check them out. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. 